to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Praise the name of the Lord, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. When you got it, say so. Looking at verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he, and, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. Hallelujah. Father, we bless you and we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you for your word, Lord God, that is full of of deliverance that is full of power that is full of healing lord god and lord jesus this morning we just humble ourselves before your greatness before your wonder and before your power my god and we ask you this morning lord that you would speak unto our hearts lord god that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church that you would change our lives, Father, that you would make us look more like you. And Lord God, that you would convict us of our sin, convict us of your righteousness, convict us of your judgments, my God. That we may turn away from our own ways, be it, Lord God, a life full of our own ways or, Father God, just areas of our own ways. That we may know your love, that we may know your power, and that we may live according to your standards. We give you thanks, praise, and glory. In Jesus' name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We are continuing in our series, Faithful Living. We dealt a little bit last week with Abraham, and we talked about a few of the situations there that occurred and how these people lived in that land that was a promised land, yet they were as pilgrims, as sojourners, and they were waiting for a land that was to come. They were waiting for a city that was not built by man, but had its foundations that were built by God. They were looking forward to something greater than what was on this earth. Is anybody in here looking for something greater than can be produced on this earth? Now, I know we got some good stuff, hallelujah. I, I, I know that God has blessed men with wisdom and giving them the ability to make beautiful and wonderful things. But I hope and I pray that we are living for more than what man can create. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. What I want to talk to you about today is something that I believe is very important. And when we die, now you do know that you are going to die. Amen. It is, it is inevitable. Glory to God. You are going to one day breathe your last breath on this side of that line of eternity. Hallelujah. One day. And, and, and you will either be entering into the presence of the king of glory to rejoice and enter in, or you will be kicked out of the presence of the king of glory for eternity. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. But each of us is going to die. That, that, that's, a, that's the bottom line. We're going to die. And when we think about death, 
we think about what it is exactly that we are going to leave behind for our families. Some of us get married and we go into, you know, making sure we get a life insurance policy, praise the name of the Lord. So that way our spouses will be taken care of, their homes will be paid for, make sure that everything is good to go for them. Our children will be taken care of. And we think about those things, and I believe that those things are very important. Amen, somebody? It's, it's very important, I believe, that you leave your family taken care of. You know, men of God, you know, leave your families taken care of. Women of God, you know, you can go on ahead and be a blessing as well. And in case you decide to leave and go to the Lord first, praise the name of the Lord, you can help your spouse so he can focus on raising your children. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. But, but, but here, is, here is the ultimate thing. While there's a lot of different stuff that we think about, you know, am I going to leave my children a house? Am I going to leave my children a car? You know, you think about a will and all this good stuff. Am I going to leave them money? Am I going to leave them bonds? Am I gonna... You think about all of these things. There is a question that comes up in our minds, and it should, and it is what is the most important thing to leave behind? What is the most important thing for us to leave behind? When we leave this earth, what is it that is going to matter more than anything else to our families? What is it that is going to matter more than anything else to the ones that we love so dearly, that we care for so much, that we work hard day in and day out to make sure that they have lives better than ours when we were growing up? Because I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up in the best financial and economic situation. And so I was determined. I said, God, you know, I just pray that my children would be able to be more blessed than I am. Amen. And that's a good thing. But there's, there, there's, there's that question. And what is the most important thing? Well, the book of Proverbs 13, verse 22, it says that the good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, yet the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. So he says a good man, a person who is good, a person who is an integral person, a person who is good by the standards of God, that person is going to leave an inheritance for his children's children. In other words, to his grandchildren, he is going to leave that inheritance to them. But then he goes on and he says in the, in the next part of the verse, and he connects these here for some reason, he says, yet the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And I want to submit this to you. Um, the wealth of the wicked being laid up for the righteous is no good to us when we go to heaven. Amen. Now, y'all didn't hear me. It is no good to us when we go to heaven. And so, obviously, that wealth that is being laid up, it is for the utilization of the righteous people in the earth. Amen, somebody? And the reason why this is important is because as a good person, as a person of God, you should desire to leave an inheritance for your children's children. But I want to let you know this as well. You shouldn't be killing yourself, running after riches, trying to get rich, trying to get wealthy because there is something much more valuable that you can leave behind for your children. Hello. What you should do is you should ensure that you are not accumulating all kinds of debt, trying to look blessed, mm -hmm. accumulating all kinds of stuff because guess what? When you pass on into the next life, you're going to be leaving all of that debt to your children. Hello, somebody. So it becomes important for us to consider those things because we don't want to go on ahead and run after all of the glitz and the glamour and keeping up with so-and-so and trying to have all of these things to then accumulate a bunch of debt and then die before we can pay it off and leave our kids with a headache instead of a blessing. Hello. 
But he shows us something in the life of Abraham that I love above all things. And it is that Abraham leaves to his children the most important thing, church. And it is what I want to talk about this morning. And it is a faithful legacy. He leaves them something that is going to lead them to accumulating the wealth of the wicked. Did you hear me now? Because the wealth of the wicked that is stored up for the righteous, you may leave this earth and not leave your children with millions of dollars and mansions and houses and bank accounts and bond accounts and all that stuff. But if you leave this earth, leaving your children with a legacy that is full of faith, then your children will walk into the blessing of God and will fulfill God's purposes and will experience everything that God has for them to experience because you have answered the question, that becomes the most critical, which is what is the most important thing for me to leave behind when I go into eternity? And I tell you this, church, it is not a house, it is not a car, it is not a bank account filled with money, but it is a legacy full of faith. Now let me balance the statement because a good parent is going to go on ahead and they are going to live within their means, they're going to think about their children and they are going to be blessed because they are walking in what? They are walking in the same principle and they are going to leave their children with a blessing and so I'm not telling you not to do that what I am telling you is you need to focus on leaving your children leaving your family with the most vital thing that you can and that is a legacy of faith see our goal in our life should be this that we leave our families with a faith that is so founded upon the word of God, so sure of the promises of God, and so submitted to the will of God that it will produce a legacy of faith within the generations after us. We should be a people that our lives are so founded upon this word, church. Listen, I, I want you to understand something. Grasp this with me. Abraham did not have one single book of the Bible. Did you hear me? We have 66 books of revelation directly from the heart of God upon which we can stand. And if we will be diligent to show ourselves approved workmen who rightly divide the word of truth and who have not need be ashamed but know where to apply the text, you know we're able to do, church? We are able to have lives that stand firm upon God's word. Lives that are founded upon the word of God. Lives that are sure, you see, because when you go on ahead and you dig into the scriptures and you, and, and you start to make the word of God your foundation, you become sure of the promises of God. Hello. You become sure of what God has said. You become sure of what God has promised. You become sure of what God has declared. And so you know what you become? You become a person. You know God promised this. And once again, we go back to the imprint of faith. There is an imprint of faith inside of my spirit that every day that I'm in the presence of Almighty God, I am doing what? I am being imprinted more and more with that word of God, with what God declares my life 
begins to internally, remember we talked about it last week, that internal capacitation be becoming stretched on the inside. And what begins to happen is as I am in the presence of Almighty God, I begin to reflect his glory internally because he begins to speak to me. He begins to deal with me. And then what happens, church? Then I end up moving into a place where now I live my life so sure of what God has promised. I don't look to the left. I don't look to the right. I don't even look at what is in front of me. I look forward to what God has said. Hello. But this only occurs when we have determined that I am going to be solid and founded upon the word of God. I'm going to be sure of the promise of God. And when you are founded upon the word of God and you are sure of the promises of God, you know what comes next automatically? Submission to the will of God. Because you walk in his will, because you know what his word says, you know what he has promised, and you do what, church? You submit to his will, no matter how difficult it becomes. That is the most important thing that we can leave to our children, church, is a faithful legacy. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment because I got to give you a little bit more scripture here because I don't want anybody to be in here and say, well, you know, Bishop, you're talking about the father of faith. And so this legacy of faith that you're speaking of that went from Abraham, went to Isaac, went to Jacob, and then was passed on to Joseph and continues on through Moses and continues all the way in through. You see, when Jesus is there and he goes into the, and, and, and when, when they're bringing him to dedicate him, there's a man, I believe his name was Zacharias, and he's there and he was waiting on the promise of God. That promise in Abraham, do you understand this it went way back there came from Abraham and made it all the way to this man who was waiting to see God because that is what a legacy of faith does church it passes on from generation to generation to generation but the question is are you living that faith filled life are you living that life full of faith and so is it for the average person? Well, turn your Bibles with me. Hold your place in the book of Hebrews. And turn your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. The apostle Paul is speaking here to his son Timothy, and he says to him in verse 3, when you got it, say Amen. It says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in who? Your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded to and I'm persuaded that it is also in you okay so we see it in the life of Timothy that the scripture says that grandma Lois hallelujah mama Eunice glory to God they passed on something to Timothy they, 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 they passed something on to them so that tells me and that tells you that we can pass something on to our children amen that we can leave this legacy of faith. Why is it that faith, this legacy that I'm talking about, becomes so important? Because it is this, church, we've got to realize this, is that true faith is the only thing that will never fail our children while they are here on this earth. Hello? What do you mean, Bishop? Well, we saw what happened, what is, you know, what's going on with our economy. Some people's economic situation crumbled right in front of their eyes. But faith will never fail you because faith 
will keep you founded on God's word. Faith will keep you sure of God's promises. Faith will keep you submitted to God's will. Faith will bring you through to what? To the fullness of what God wants. Faith will take you through those trials, church. Hello. So what do you want to leave your children? You want to make sure that you leave your children this legacy of faithfulness. Repeat this after me. We must realize the effects our faith can have on our future generations. When we look at the life of Abraham, I don't think that we would find a life that is marked by perfection. Do you think so? I don't think so. We talked about it last week. He went and he moved in, you know, to one place during a time of famine, and he goes up in there and tells his wife, says, listen, you know, I want you to act like my sister. That wasn't a demonstration of perfect faith, was it? No, not at all. He did it again later on. He went ahead and he listened to the counsel of his wife, and he slept with Hagar, his, his wife's maidservant, which proves to us that Abraham was by far perfect, but you know what he was? Persistent. Hello. His life did not, does not show us perfection, but it shows us persistence. Why is this important? It is important for us because we must realize that our lives are never going to demonstrate perfection. Hello. Not until we get into heaven. That is when perfection will be revealed. So that means that I am going to sin. I am going to do things that are not right. But I want to just pause for a moment because I want to tell you that there is a difference between committing a sin and living in sin. There's a difference. Now, Pastor Mighty Soul came over to me and said, Bishop, the Lord wants the church to know that the reason why they continue in sin is because they do not understand the love of God. When you understand the love of God, you will stop sinning. First John, you can read that and you will find there that it talks about those who are born of God not sinning. But then it goes on, it's like, you know, it's almost confusing. It says, but if we sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and we confess unto him. Because of what? Because we are going to commit sin. We are going, and I, and I, and I, and I want to be real careful not to use the word mistake because here's the problem in the church. The problem is that we go ahead and say, well, you know, she slept with him and that was a mistake. No, that was sin. That was not a mistake. That was sin. Because when it's a mistake, oh, no, it, mistakes didn't nail Jesus to the cross. Now, y'all ain't saying nothing. Mistakes did not nail him to the cross. Mistakes did not get him brutally beaten. Mistakes did not get him to have to go through all of the rejection, all of the embarrassment. and all. Uh, that wasn't mistakes, church. That was sin. Little white lie, no, that's a lie, that's sin. You cuss someone out, and that wasn't a mistake, that was sin. Hello. You let the anger get the best of you, you need to, the Bible says clearly, be angry, sin not. That's what the text says. And so what we have here is we have an issue. Because while we are going to be imperfect, the question is, are we going to be penitent when we are found imperfect? Are we going to be like David who had the prophet Nathan come to him and tell him this wonderful story about this lamb? And he says, you know, there was a person who was not, you know, very, you know, not very rich. And someone came to him who, you know, was rich. And I'm just paraphrasing, you know, and he comes and he asks him for this little lamb that he has. This guy had one lamb, one lamb. And he says he asked him for that lamb and he takes that lamb from him. And then, you know, David and then, you know, Nathan says to him, so what should be done to that man? And he's like, well, that man needs to pay, you know, a hundredfold or whatever he said there. He told him that, and, they, and then Nathan looks at him and says, yeah, you the man. Now, David is stuck in a position where he is going to do what? He's going to pay a hundredfold, or he's going to say, well, you know, I'm the king, and it doesn't apply to me. 
The text says David goes into fasting because he's going to lose his son born through this sin that he committed. Not a mistake. This sin that he committed. Why, 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 why am I saying that it's not a mistake? I'm going to tell you why it's not a mistake. Because Jesus says clearly, it is not what goes into a mouth that makes him unclean, but it's what comes out of a mouth that makes him unclean. See, because out of the heart comes murder, comes thefts, comes, you know, all of these different things, cursings, all of this stuff comes out of the heart. Why is it not a mistake? Because it is from the abundance of your heart that you behave. It is what you are meditating on. It is what you are thinking about. It is what you are harboring in your heart that produces behavior, church. The reason why you act the way you do is because you are not meditating and being made perfect in the love of Christ. If you were meditating upon that cross the way that we should, if you were meditating upon what Jesus did, trust me, when you enter into a position of being tempted, you will remember the suffering that Christ went through on the cross, demonstrating the love of God, and you will turn from that sin because you will realize the price that he paid for me and my salvation is too great for me to spit in his face again he was spit on enough it is too great for me to slap him he was slapped enough see when you and I decide that we are going to fall in love with the love of God and meditate on that then what comes out of us is not sin but it is righteousness and then what happens is we begin to sin less and sin less and sin less. Why? Because if you were in the John Bevere class, he says clearly, he said someone has got to change by the time Jesus comes. And he ain't changing. It's got to be you and it's got to be me. What do you mean, Bishop? It means that we daily must be coming more like the Savior who died for us. Amen. That's what's supposed to happen to us. And so when we're thinking about leaving this legacy of faith, when we're thinking about leaving this lifestyle of faith behind, our persistence reveals something, church. It shows the process of you and I being perfected. And you know what that shows? That shows what Timothy's grandmother had, what his mother had, and what he had. It was that word, that sincere or unfeigned faith. Do you think that Timothy didn't make or, or, or didn't commit sin? Do you think that Timothy didn't do things that he wasn't supposed to do? Of course he did, church. But he had a sincere, unhypocritical faith. And what Paul tells him is, son, you need to make sure that the church sees unhypocritical faith in you. And parents, it is important for us that we make sure that our children see unhypocritical faith in us. Young men and women, don't think that you're out of this one because I'm just talking to your parents today. There was a young lady that wrote a book about her. It was um, She Said Yes, Glory to God. Yeah, she died in that Columbine High School shooting because they asked her if she loved God. And it, yeah, yes, I do. Okay, well, let me show you how much you love him. Mm -hmm. You know what she did for every young person in the United States of America all over the world? She left the legacy of faith, young girl. She, she left the legacy of faith. She left an example of what true faith looks like in action in the face of adversity. 
See, because the reason why I want to talk to young people about this is because I don't want you to think about when you get to, well, when I turn, you know, 25, 35, you know, because that's old, you know, right now where you're at. Um, you know, when I, I'm just saying, when we were that age, that was old, you know, we were old, you know, okay? So, you know, when I turn 25, you know, I'm too young to be saved. Listen, the devil is a liar. You can ask any person on the planet who is a Christian today, when they come to Christ, they say, I wish I would have done this when I was young. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Because they realize how much time they wasted. But there's another reason there. It is because once you have lived a life that is outside of alignment with God, it becomes much more difficult to crucify your flesh when you get older. Hello. Because you become set in your ways. You become used to certain behaviors. And, and so it is important for you as a young man and a young woman to think about what are you leaving behind right now? Are you demonstrating a life of faith? Are you showing your schoolmates a life of faith? Are you showing your parents a life of faith? Challenging. It's all right for young people to challenge the faith of their parents. Glory to God. You remember Samuel? Well, the Bible says Samuel was laying up in the bed, and he was there, and the Lord said, Samuel. And Samuel got up, ran to his daddy Eli, and said, you know, that was his father at the moment. He said, well, you know, father, what do you need? And he said, I, I didn't call you. Go lay down. Gets up again. You know, come. Same things happens. All of a sudden, he says that the father realizes and says, listen, son, this is what's up right here. God is trying to call you. The next time you hear that voice, you say, Lord, here I am. Scripture says he heard him and said, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel gets his whole word. You know what the word was? Samuel got a word. He didn't want to tell Eli because it was a word of judgment for Eli's house. I think I'm playing. I'm, I'm dead serious. You want to talk about challenging his daddy's faith? Hello. Eli's like, listen, you tell me what the Lord said to you. Or whatever he said to you is going to happen to you. And he's like, all right, hold, hold, hold on a second. This was a bad word here. And I know he called me, and so this is for your house, not mine. Glory to God. And so what am I saying? You can be the one as a young man, young woman, to challenge the faith of your parents, to challenge them. See, because we all got to think about what is it that we're going to leave behind. You see, but if you're committed, young man, young woman, to serving him now, your life is going to flow the way God wants it to flow. Your life is going to be led the way God wants it to be led by his spirit and by his word. And you know what begins to happen? When you walk into relationship, everything in your life talks faith. Everything in your life demonstrates your trust for God. The question is, do you want to leave that legacy of faith behind? Or do you just want to say, well, you know, I'm just going to be just the average Joe. Hello. Mm-hmm. When you look at these situations here, look at the book of Hebrews, and you find that the Bible tells us in verse 20, it says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. And remember, the first thing that I said is that we must realize the effects our faith can have on our future generations. Notice this is four generations of people here that, that their faith was affected directly because of one person who was not perfect but was persistent. Because of one person who knew what God's word was for his family. Because of one person who knew what 
what God's promises were because of one person who was submitted to the will of God. All of these people's lives were effective. So what happens? It was the faith of Abraham and the promises of God that produced the faith of Isaac and the promises of God, which in turn produced the faith of Jacob and the promises of God. And I love this last one. It maintained the faith of Joseph and the promises of God. You see, Joseph is, is the one that's like, he's a little different than everybody else. Because you see, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were all together and they, you know, they had this relationship. But Joseph's situation is totally different. Because Joseph goes on ahead, has a dream, tells his brothers a dream, tell, has another dream, tells his parents and his brothers the dream. And then he goes, and, and, and he goes out there to check on his brothers, doing what his daddy told him to do. And the Bible says something happens. He gets sold into slavery. Sold as a slave. So it's one thing. Now, now, now you got to stick with me here. It is one thing to be sitting in daddy's house and hear daddy say, all of this is yours. Everything that I have, every promise that God has given me, it's yours. It's a whole different thing to be separated from your family and for some reason to hold on to something your daddy said in your house. It's a different scenario, church. Not just being separate, because we're not talking about being enlisted into the army here. Hello. That's, that's tough. You know, boot camp, yeah, crazy. Glory to God, I'm glad the Lord never called me there. Yeah, you know, those situations are difficult. But we're talking about unjustly being sold into slavery. So then, but he's still maintaining the promise of God. Then after that, he goes and, you know, he finds favor because God's favor, because of God's promise, hallelujah, is on this young man, goes into Potiphar's house, working, doing everything right. Potiphar's wife thinks the guy looks good. She keeps on coming on to him, and he's like, look, I'm not having this. I'm not going to sin against my master. I'm not going to sin against the Lord. And he continues on to maintain his mindfulness of who, church? Of God Almighty. Remember, please remember, he did not have a Bible that went with him when he was sold into slavery. All he had was a testimony of Grandpa Grandpa Abraham and Grandpa Isaac and Daddy Jacob. He had a testimony. That is all that he had, and yet he understood that everything that he had, it was because of God, even though though he was a slave and then what happens again unjustly he ends up in this prison because this woman lies on him and yet and still in the prison he's favored again has the favor of God upon him some guys come down there interpret some dreams for them they forget about him a couple of years later Pharaoh has a dream now this is now now this thing with Joseph is pretty heavy Pharaoh has a dream so finally his vindication is coming. For Joseph, no, it didn't. You know why? Because he had a greater promise than anything that Egypt could ever offer him. Why is this important, church? I'm going to tell you why this is important. It's important because Egypt is a type of the world. Hear me? Egypt is an example of the world. And what Joseph found in Egypt, the position, the power, the money, everything he had didn't compare to the promise of God. And so the question is, are you comfortable with just having everything that the world has to offer? Or are you looking for something greater? Hello. Joseph is in this whole scenario. And what do you think it was, church, that didn't allow Joseph to become bitter? That didn't allow Joseph to forget about who he was? 
it all goes back to Grandpa Abraham. It all goes back to his great-grandfather who demonstrated what faith really was and communicated it from generation. My son, I'm telling you, Isaac, this is what this is about. And Isaac passes it on to Jacob, and Jacob passes this on. Listen, jo I want you to know this, parents. Joseph was only like 17 years old when he got sold into slavery, so it wasn't like daddy, you know, had all of these years to pour all the... No, but daddy took advantage of every moment to demonstrate faith and to pour it into the kids. And at 17, look, come on now, y'all know this, 17 years old, most of us wouldn't be able to hold on to a promise of God going through all that kind of hell and high water. Hello. Most of us would be like, man, I don't even know, where, where's God at in all of this? Going through those, but there was something that happened to this person when he was in his daddy's house. And it was that the faith that Abraham demonstrated was affecting their lives. The second thing I want you to repeat with me is we must purpose to have a faith that looks forward to the promises of God. The key, church, to a faith that looks forward is the assurance of the promises of God for today and for tomorrow. I bought this little book the other day. I, had, I, got, a, I got a gift certificate somewhere, and you know, I had like $3 to spend or $4 to spend, and so I went, and this little book called Bible Promises. The book is about this thick. It was $3.99. And I encourage you, go on ahead, buy the book. Why? Because it, 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 will, it will alleviate you of having to search every single scripture to find a promise for whatever you're facing. Talks about forgiveness. Talks about love. Talks about patience. Whatever you need, there are promises in the word of God. And sometimes it's difficult. Why do I say that? Because that's a little cheat sheet. Hello. But it's there to help you what? Become firm on what God's promises are. Because if you don't know what God's promises are for today and you don't know what God's promises are for tomorrow, guess what? You're not going to be able to focus on those things. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. See, the focus of our faith will greatly influence the focus of the faith of our children. And before I move any further to show you about the focus here, I want to tell you that, parents, you can be the most mighty man, woman of God, a powerful family, and there is still a chance that your kids are going to do what they want to do. You can be the most faithful witness that you can be to them. And, you, and, and I'll give you the prime example is the, is the Bible teaches us right before Israel got their first king was a man by the name of Samuel. Remember the one that God called Samuel, Samuel? Well, the scripture says that Israel came to him and said, listen, Samuel, your sons, they ain't like you. We need a king. Now, you want to talk about a man of God? Samuel was a man of God. You want to talk about someone who heard God, who walked with God? Samuel was the man. And his kids... They didn't necessarily want to follow in his footsteps and do everything. And, and so you know what? That is not. That is between them and the Lord. But what I do want you to know is that your focus can greatly affect the focus of your children's faith. When you look at these stories here and you see the examples. Now, they use three verses here in the book of Hebrews. And, the, and, and, and they use three verses that are describing Abraham, who we're going to touch last. But I want you to look at verse 20 there. It says, by faith, Abraham blessed Jacob and Esau concerning what? Things to come. He wasn't blessing them just for today. He was blessing them concerning things to come. Why? Because Father Abraham's faith 
was focused on the future. And so what did he do? He went on ahead. He blessed his children concerning things to come. Verse 21, it says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he is on his deathbed. He blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worship, leaning on the top of his staff. And he asked God to do something with them. He asked God to make them great nations, to bless them. And he did what? He was focused not on what, now remember, he was in Egypt when he died. And he wasn't focusing and saying, God, do great things with them here in Egypt because, Lord, you know, my son Joseph, he's prosperous. He's second in command. And no, that isn't what God said. That isn't what he said. He said, I'm asking you to bless them and to make them a nation, to do something great with them. And you look on to verse 22. By faith, Joseph when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. He said, listen, I don't even want my bones to stay in this land. I want my bones when I'm dead, and I don't know when y'all are going to leave, but y'all are going to leave. And when you do, don't forget my bones. Take my Why? Because Father Abraham, his faith was focused on what? On the promises of God. And every one of his sons, they were focused on the promises of God. Not just the promises for here and now, but the promises for the future. And remember, they weren't just looking forward to the promised land that was going to be where they were going to live, but it was looking forward to the Messiah who was going to come. So they were doing what, church? They were looking forward to the promises because of who? Abraham. Now let's look at the life of Abraham really quickly and say this with me. We must expect our faith to be proven through obedient sacrifice. See, because we're talking about Abraham, and, and, and it makes no sense for us to talk about Abraham without looking at what he really went through concerning this scripture here. We're going to look at the scripture here, and then we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 22, but let's read here from verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, including, um, I'm sorry, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Now, 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 now before we turn to this story over here, I want to ask you something. Where is it that you think that the writer of the book of Hebrews got this idea in verse 19 concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense? Where do you think that came from, church? Do you think that it, it, it just came out of osmosis? No. It was passed down. It was passed down. They communicated this. This was something that he, he wasn't just saying, well, you know, maybe, you know, he, he, he thought that that, that, wasn't, that wasn't it, church. It was clear. This, the, the writer, whoever wrote it knew this. Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 22, because we want to look at this story in some detail here. So you can get a heart for what Abraham went through, because we're talking about this obedient sacrifice that we are supposed to make in our lives as we walk with the Lord. Genesis chapter 22, when you got it, say so. Now it came to pass after these things 
that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. Verse 3 says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the fire for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abram said to his young men, stay here with the donkeys. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Now, notice what he says there. He tells them, and I believe Pastor Robert talked about this. He tells them right there. He says, look, he's demonstrating his faith. He's saying, we're going to go worship, and we're going to come back. Why is that? Because he understood something. He watched God Almighty promise him that he was going to have a son from the dead womb of his wife, Sarah. Understand this. He said, listen, you are going to have a son and it's going to come from her womb. And so what did he do? God already proved to Abraham that he was able to bring life from the dead. He already showed Abraham the resurrection power. He already demonstrated this to him. So what happens? I, um, Abraham tells these people, he said, listen. We're going to go over here, and we're going to come back because you know what? I am going to, I mean, you got to think about this guy's faith, okay? Because he is saying to them, we're going to go over here. Mind you, what did it say that he was cutting? He was cutting firewood. So he was, he, he was not only believing that God was going to resurrect him, but God was actually going to reproduce this son from them ashes. Hello? You, you understand how incredible that is? He walks with his son. says, you guys, you stay here. Me and my son, we got business to take care of with the Lord. And so we continue on in this story, and I want you to see how his faith is being tested in, you know, in, in, this, in, in this great manner. Verse 6 says, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look. The fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, you got to think about this for a moment. It's like your child saying to you, Bobby, Daddy, I've seen you do this a lot of times. And you are usually holding the lamb and the fire while I carry the wood. But I don't see no lamb. And Isaac is talking to his father that he loves and his dad, you know his daddy adores him because see, you've got to take this to the next dimension. This wasn't just any child, church. This was a child that was waited on for 25 years. This was a child, and any child is precious, but this was a child that was waited on for all of that time, and plus, this was the child who God said, in him your seed is going to be called. There was no other hope. There was no other shot for Abraham. This is your only son. I'm not going to give you. He didn't say nothing to him when he told him, take your only son and sacrifice him. Nope. So he tells him, he says, look. He says, son. 
The Lord is going to provide. Again, speaking in faith. God did, God never, never, never did God say, I'm going to take you to the mountain and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to provide the lamb in the, or the ram in the thicket. That isn't, God never said that to him. What does the scripture go on to tell us? The scripture goes on, and I won't read anymore, and I'm getting ready to close here. The scripture goes on to tell us, it says that Abraham walks with his son. When they get up there to the top of the mountain, he goes on ahead and he prepares this altar. He prepares the altar, puts the wood in its place, getting ready to make the sacrifice, and he takes his son, and he says, all right, son, come here. And he starts tying him. Now, can you imagine the face of your son or your daughter? He, he just watched you, probably helped you create this altar, put this wood on it. And now he tells you, come here, son. I'm, I'm going to tie you up. Why am I going to tie you? Because I have to kill you. Because if I don't tie you, you're going to run. So I'm going to tie you up, and I'm going to do it. This is what God called the man to do. And Abraham does it faithfully. And he says, all right, Lord, you promised. I love my son. This is your promise, but I am going to be faithful. Gets his son up on the altar. And the Bible says the most beautiful portion of the text. As he lifts up the knife, and he's about to kill his son, the angel of the Lord calls him and says, Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you fear me. Do not kill your son. And he looked behind him, and he saw the ram in the thicket, and now the sacrifice is made. And that's why the Bible says that he received him back from the dead. Because Abraham said, you know what? God's word means more to me than my own flesh and blood. God's word means more to me than anything that I can have in this earth. And that is the only way, church, that we are going to be able to leave this legacy for our children. It is when nothing in this earth matters to us in comparison to God. When nothing in this earth, no person, no money, no, no, no anything, no position, that we are unwilling to compromise. See, and then here becomes the question. What is it that God is asking you to sacrifice? What is it? What is it that means the world to you? That may be more important to you than God is. That he's saying, I want you to lay that down on the altar. I want you to sacrifice that thing. What is it? And then the other question is, are you going to be like Abraham? He didn't question God and say, Lord, are you sure? But none of that. Give me a sign, Lord. I want to be sure that this is you. Just show me, you know. Do. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't pull a Gideon on him. Make the fleece wet, ground dry. Make the ground dry, the fleece wet. He didn't do any of that. The Bible says he heard the word of the Lord. He said, all right. Woke up the next morning early. He didn't wait. He didn't sleep in that day, glory to God. He said, I got to get this thing over with because I don't want to change my mind. He had all kind of opportunities, church, to change his mind. But he said, no, God asked me for this. It's his anyway. And that's where we got to get our mindset and understand. It is his. If he's asking you for it, there's a reason. And here's the beauty of this. The beauty is 
that when God is taking you through a test, when God is taking you through the fire, and I said God taking you, I'm not telling you the devil. When God is taking you through this, it's because he wants to strengthen. He wants to prove. He wants to cause your faith to become what he wants it to be. That's what it is. And the beauty of this is that the Bible says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so you know what that means? That means that if God, and God is faithful to do this church, and when you learn his promises, you'll know if he is taking you through this, he may not tell you like he told Isaac to pick up your son. He may not tell you to take that thing that he's asking you for, but you know what? He is going to have his reward for you in his hand the question is are you going to take the first step of trusting him are you going to take the first step of obeying what he's saying are you going to take the first step and say Lord here I am and so my question for you this morning is very simple if you died today if you died today would you leave a legacy of faith behind? If you died today, the way that you have lived your life up to today, would you leave a legacy of faith behind? I'm not asking you if you're going to be perfect because that's going to be a no for any of us. The Bible records all of these lives of all of these men and women because he wants to show us that we can still leave a legacy of faith behind even though we have been imperfect. It's there. But the question is, if you died today, young man, young woman, older man, older woman, if you died today, that's got to be the most important thing for us, church, is that we leave that legacy of faith behind. And I want to say this. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I can answer the question for you. If you haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ and made him the Lord and Savior of your life, I don't care how good of a person you've been. I don't care how, you know, wonderful. I don't care how many charities you've given to. It, and all of that doesn't matter. All of that makes no difference. You cannot have true faith without him. And you cannot leave a legacy. You can leave a legacy of good works. You can leave a legacy of being a good person. But the ultimate thing is, if you want to leave something, that is going to mark generations to come. You've got to have the eternal marker, which is the faith that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him in this place, today is your opportunity to submit your life to him and say, Lord, here's my life. Take it and let me be a faith marker. Let me be a person who leaves a legacy of faith. And if you are a child of God, and you can be honest and you say, Lord, I wouldn't leave a legacy of faith behind and I died today. But you say, Lord, I want to. There's hope for you as well. Amen. Everybody stand to your feet, please, and bow your heads.